What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year. Yet the names of many are never said or known except to their families and friends. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Tower Roundup for the week of September 12th, 2022. The Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office has determined that the actions of a deputy captured on video last year in which he grabbed a woman by the hair and slammed her to the ground were, quote, both reasonable and acceptable, end quote. The incident involved JPSO Deputy Julio Alvarado, a 17-year veteran, and Chantel Arnold, 34, a black woman who is under 5 feet tall, weighs less than 100 pounds, and is missing an eye. It drew national attention after the brief video clip was covered by ProPublica, WWMO, and the Times Picayune. Video shows the officer, who has been named in at least nine excessive force lawsuits, more, by the by, than any other active JPSO deputy, grabbing the woman by her hair and slamming her to the ground. The sheriff now says the actions were justified and the woman is, quote, looking for a paycheck, end quote, because, yeah, being assaulted by police is everyone's planned pathway out of poverty. Can you hear my eye roll? Source, ProPublica. A police officer in Eckert, Indiana, who was seen repeatedly punching a handcuffed man in a 2008 video obtained by the South Bend Tribune and ProPublica, has pled guilty in a federal civil rights case. The plea agreement calls for Corey Newland to be sentenced to 15 months in prison for his role in the incident in which he and fellow officer Joshua Titus were seen on security camera video beating Mario Guerrero Ledesma while the man was handcuffed to a chair in a detention area at the city police station. Newland will also pay a yet-to-be-determined amount to Ledesma in restitution. His plea came less than a month before the case was set to go to trial. He says, quote, I placed ML in a chair with his hands handcuffed behind his back and behind the back of the chair. ML spat in my direction. I responded by punching him in the face, causing him to fall backwards onto the floor. Another officer, Joshua Titus, and I continued to strike ML repeatedly with our fists. ML was in handcuffs during the entirety of the time we were punching him. Five months after the incident, Elkhart's then-police chief, Ed Windbigler, gave both Newland and Titus reprimands but did not suspend or demote them. I'm shocked. Speaking in 2018 to the city's police oversight commission, Windbigler said the two officers, quote, just went a little overboard, end quote, in subduing a person in custody, but he did not mention the fact that the pair had punched a handcuffed suspect. Source, ProPublica. A Philadelphia police lieutenant who was fired for sending a bestiality video to two women he supervised has been reinstated after an arbitrator ruled that his contact was not egregious enough to merit termination. I can't make this stuff up, y'all. Lieutenant Marquez, who was also accused of telling one of the women she could mislead investigators reviewing the incident, was instead ordered to serve a 50-day suspension, paid vacation. 
In his ruling, arbitrator David Riley said that although the video Hayes sent was very disturbing and showed an extremely graphic depiction of a sex act involving a woman and a dog, the transmission, while inappropriate, did not constitute sexual harassment. I should mention here that the primary way women, and particularly women of color, experience state terror is through sexual harassment, intimidation, and assault. A 2014 study led by Stinson analyzed the arrests of nearly 400 officers employed across 43 states in Washington, D.C. for sex-related crimes between 2005 and 2007. Just three years. Beyond uncovering 118 cases of rape, the study found that nearly three-quarters of all the cases involved victims who were younger than 18. Source, the Philadelphia Inquirer. After a federal judge ruled that Caltrans could move forward with sweeping 200 people from the sprawling Wood Street encampment in Oakland, the California Highway Patrol and Caltrans showed up last week and violently evicted the Wood Street community, the largest encampment in the Bay Area. Dozens of CHP officers, the fourth most murderous law enforcement agency in California, descended on the camp last Thursday morning, the first phase of an armed eviction that will cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wood Street's estimated two to 300 unhoused residents are being offered little relocation support or resources from the entities responsible for these sweeps. Only a fraction have been given shelters or RV spots. Two residents were arrested for nonviolent civil disobedience and resistance to this displacement amidst a huge outpouring of community support. These residents came together years ago because they had been pushed to the margins and had nowhere else to go. They formed a vibrant community out of nothing on public land, the people's land. Most are black, several are elders, many are extremely vulnerable, and almost all are victims of gentrification and criminalization. Ahead of the hearing, the Wood Street community sent an open letter to Governor Newsom, Mayor Libby Schaaf, Caltrans, and other agencies and leaders demanding real solutions for Wood Street residents. Their suggestions were ignored. This, of course, comes on the heels of care courts making its way out of the state assembly, which will now allow for the forced incarceration of the unhoused and folks dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. Read one big statewide sweep of unhoused people across California. Source, the San Francisco Chronicle and the Anti-Police Terror Project. We can't even grieve without losing our lives. A man is dead after an officer-involved shooting that happened at the Amos Carvelli Funeral Home in Nutterfort. The man's sister, Evelyn Odell, told 12 news crews that the man who was shot was Jason Owens, the son of Junior Arnie Owens, who was being buried that day. She said that when Junior's casket was placed in the hearse, they heard officers shout Jason's name before he was shot. Odell said she was hugging Jason at the time. Source? WBOY 12 News. Groton police found the body of Mary Fairbarn, 57, lying in bed in a pool of blood. An autopsy showed she'd been stabbed 27 times. Her husband immediately confessed. A WBUR investigation found that this state's uniquely broad privacy law intended to protect the privacy and safety of survivors of domestic and sexual violence has instead protected causes of harm and police. The Massachusetts law requires police to keep all reports and arrests related to sexual and domestic violence secret, something no other state does. It has also harmed survivors by making it difficult, even impossible, to obtain records they need for custody battles and restraining orders. The prosecutors quickly provided details about the murder. Police used a sweeping confidentiality law to prevent the public from learning crucial details about what they did and didn't do in the months that led up to the stabbing. They had been warned repeatedly that Mary's husband threatened her, a family member said, but did little to intervene. 
Indeed, police were called twice to the couple's home in the week before the stabbing over concerns about Mary's well-being. In both cases, police declined to make an arrest, then kept the reports locked away. In fact, 16 police departments turned down WBUR's request for records detailing their actions leading up to domestic murders, all citing the same statute. In addition to mental health and substance abuse crisis, law enforcement should not be the primary responders to interpersonal violence. In fact, large swaths of women never call 911 when in the throes of an incident of DV, largely because they know it is rarely help that arrives, but more so the threat of increased violence via abuse, incarceration, or death at the hands of law enforcement. Source WBUR. A caller to 911 in Salt Lake City said a man had come into a brewery in his underwear that he tried to take a beer and was running around the street. Police tried to detain the man. Soon, Nikon Brandon was dead. After the Salt Lake PD on Friday released body camera footage of the August 14th fatal encounter and the 911 recording, activists were asking why an unarmed person wound up dead and accused law enforcement of using disproportionate force. Quote, stealing a beer does not equate to the death penalty, said Lex Scott, founder of Black Lives Matter Utah. I don't care if this man robbed 10 banks and one day he didn't deserve to die. He deserved to make it to court. End quote. The death of Brandon, who was 35, comes as the United States is still seeing uncounted numbers of police killings of unarmed people, many of whom are suffering from mental health crisis. Activists have called for reform, saying rather than armed police who can often escalate situations, a better solution would be for special mental health crisis teams to respond. Brandon's Facebook page says he'd attended Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and worked for a firm that sells appliances, plumbing, and hardware. Definitely mental health issues, the 911 caller said. So if you've got mental health resources, send them out. No de-escalation attempts by the police are visible or audible in the footage from nine body-worn cameras, even though an executive order signed by Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendelhall two years ago requires all Salt Lake City Police Department officers to use de-escalation techniques before using force. Source, AP News. A jury has found former Arlington police officer Ravinder Singh not guilty of criminally negligent homicide in the 2019 death of a woman living outdoors who he shot as he intended to fire upon her dog. The panel appeared to have been persuaded by the defense argument that the shooting had been a tragic accident that occurred during a moment of acute stress because, yeah, sleeping unhoused women are super scary and involved a double ricocheted bullet that first struck the dog on a sidewalk before it tore through Margarita Brooks's heart. Source, People Magazine and Fort Starworth Telegram. State terror is a worldwide issue. We turn our attention now to the UK, where police confirmed at least four people arrested for protesting the monarchy and King Charles, one man in Oxford who shouted, who elected him? Three in Edinburgh, including a 74-year-old woman holding a sign and a man who called Prince Andrew a sick old man. Scottish police charged a man for breaching the peace after he heckled Prince Andrew, who quit royal duties over his ties to sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Two others face charges for anti-royal protests. Activists say arrests represent a, quote, fundamental erosion of our democracy, end quote. Unarmed 24-year-old rapper Chris Caba was shot dead by police in Streatham Hill, South London. 
The firearms officer who shot the single fatal shot into the father-to-be has been suspended from frontline duties. Mr. Cabo was driving a vehicle that was rammed and boxed in by police during a chase. He was killed by a single shot fired through the driver's side of the car's windscreen. The Independent Office for Police Conduct has since launched a homicide investigation into his death, and the officer involved in the shooting has been suspended. It came after two South London MPs have joined calls from campaigners and Mr. Cabo's family in calling for the officer to be disciplined. On Saturday, hundreds marched to Scotland Yard to demand justice for Cabo. Members of his family were joined by supporters bearing placards proclaiming justice for Chris Cabo, abolish the Met, and no justice, no peace. Sky News, however, told viewers they were well-wishers on the way to Buckingham Palace to pay tribute to the Queen. Source, Saul Staniforth on Twitter and The Evening Standard. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 12, 2022. The State Terror Roundup soundtrack is provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area hip-hop and soul scene since the early 90s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. A shout out to the team at the Anti-Police Terror Project who helped curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about our topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. That's D-I-S. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Bye.